ETFM's official launch year. It's quite a complicated story, actually. Radio is a bit like the swan, you know. It tries to glide along and present a very unified picture on the surface, and it's all very smooth and it's all very, you know, cool. But underneath, there's an awful lot of activity going on, and there was an awful lot of activity going on previous to this date, which is the, the 24th of May, back in 2002. So I thought I'd invite into the studio Andrew Jones, who is the founder of, of GTFM, um, certainly as it exists here in the Reed Vellon area anyway, because it was a bit of a collaboration. We'll get on to that in a minute. Um, but it launched officially, and the mayor, who was Lorraine Jones, I think, Councillor Jones, came in and you know, officially declared it open on this day. So this is the day in history, Andrew, we're kind of celebrating. But it's been going on for quite a long time, and you'd set up the station originally, GTFM, back in May 1999, hadn't you? Yeah, good morning, Terry. It's... Uh feels very strange being back in this building. Uh, I was thinking it must be about 12 or 13 years since I last been in here in somewhere that for very many years seemed like home. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, a GTFM, I mean it all started really um, and lots of listeners around this immediate area in Reed Valley and Hawthorne I'm sure will remember it because it started out as a, as a community project up on the Glintaff estate, which is just a stone's throw from here. Um, and it was at the time when I was the housing manager for Newith Housing that uh, owned that estate. It's quite a well-known estate in the history of, of Wales because um, it's a former council estate that was the only example in Wales of uh, tenant's choice, which was controversially one of those uh, schemes that was in, in, in and around the Thatcher era. And basically what it meant was the tenants up there voted to transfer it to a new landlord, and that was Newith. And Newith were very supportive of... Um, the community development on that estate and I just thought it was a really good opportunity to try out uh, a little community radio station and for me the reason why I thought it might work there is because at that time they were actually doing it down Cardiff Bay and there were a couple of stations Bay FM and the uh, the better one was one called Tiger Bay FM which were fantastic examples of uh, how you could celebrate a community on air. Um, and whilst I wouldn't say, you know, you know, there was a lot of synergy between this area and, and, and what the, the history of, of Butetown was. So, um, yeah, so that's how we started, really, by thinking, OK, it was, it was done down in Cardiff Bay, so uh, why not try it here? Yes, and there was some social reason why you needed some cohesive, something cohesive too, wasn't there? You know, in the history of the estate, really. Well, I guess so. I mean, the the, uh, the fact that it had this transfer, um, it released something like twenty five million pounds of what was then Welsh office money to do up the fabric of the estate. But of course, you know, there was a community there, mm. um, and it was a community that. Um, was really passionate because without them, that would never have happened up there. Um, and it was about celebrating that, really. And and for me, I think one of the things in terms of the station um, and why it was called GTFM, because everybody thinks it's called GTFM to say Stamford Glintaff FM, 
and that was not the case. Mm. The reason why it was called GTFM was because the Tenants Association up there, who were the backbone of that community and had fought like dogs to get the uh, the recognition and the, the funding for that estate was the Glintaft Tenants and Residents Association. Everybody in this area knew of them as GTRA. Yeah. So it was just a, a, a derivative of that, really, that would mean something to this community, but not to the wider community. Because at the time, Glintaft did have a reputation. I, I think as, as men, many of the, those kind of community activists said to me, when we get to the day when, and this shows how long ago it was, because when people used to wanted to to uh, do um, council house swaps, they would put cards in shop windows. Mm. And they said, the day when the day comes where it says they'll move anywhere but the top site, then we know we've achieved something. All right. So, so that was what was in my mind. I thought, well, hang on a minute. We're gonna, we're not gonna. <laughs> there's gonna be no preconceptions here by calling the Glintaff Radio. Let's get the wider community to tune in, and then they will gradually realise where it's coming from. But actually, what they're gonna hear is really positive, brilliant stuff. Yeah, it's a positive message. That's the thing, isn't it? It's a positive medium radio. Yeah. You can talk about serious topics, yeah. providing you, you talk did. about them in a positive way. Yeah. And and clearly it was hugely successful. The signal in those days, though, on these RSL, restricted license, 28-day stations, was very restricted in, in how far it went, wasn't it? Yeah, but to be honest, Terry, that wasn't really our concern at the time. No, you what wanted we wanted to, reach, to do was yeah. do a, a community radio station, and if it got into into parts of Pontypridd as well, all well and good. Um, and, you know, we went on air uh, on that that morning, I think it was something like the 16th of May, 1999, and I can remember we went on air 7 o'clock in the morning. I had the job of launching it, not because I wanted to, but because <laughs> I, you know, couldn't honestly expect anyone else to get up a godly o'clock to switch <laughs> on a radio station. So it was myself and a, a wonderful friend at the time called Catherine Hartland, who was a solicitor, and she used to do community advice sessions up at Glintaff. She was a great character, and um, we decided we would just have a laugh and do this this law, and it worked. Um, and we went on air that morning, and something happened that day in that community, and they took it to their hearts and loved every minute of those 28 days. And wondered why it had stopped when it stopped. Yes. Oh, <laughs> totally. There were petitions going round. Uh, I've still got those those handwritten petitions. There was hundreds and hundreds of names saying, please don't go. Um, we had a, a call. I mean, <laughs> even, in, even in May 2019, when we had to set up a phone in the office for... Te- for people to ring us it was 406 treble one it goes back to then and um i remember getting a phone call one afternoon and they said you've got to look out the window looked out the window and and there's photos of this uh, and there were little kiddies off the estate with cardboard boxes and banners saying please don't go gtfm please stay oh, that's, that's how powerful it was yeah which is why you brought it back the following year yeah, I mean, it was only ever intended to be that. Uh, 28 days over the summer, a bit like a an extended carnival and festival, and mm. then it would be packed away, um, literally, because we had to hire in uh, all the, the kit to enable us to go on air. 
uh, hurriedly converted at the time new with housing were in uh, an old block of flats at Ponglin Taff and hurriedly converted an empty room which was originally a bedroom to become a studio um, and um, yeah hired everything in and thought that'd be it and Red Dragon back in those days was the, was the big station, yeah. wasn't it? In yeah. the area, very, yeah. very good station. Yeah. Yeah. And they gave you a hand setting it up. And I think you had help in the second one from Galaxy. That's right, yeah. Who became Kiss now. Yeah. 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 And they were willing to help you until you started sounding a bit too good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, uh, you know, there's I think suck. even in the first time around, I think Red Dragon had a bit of a shock. Because actually, <laughs> why we ended up going to Galaxy is they did let the the Tenants Association done really badly because when we were on air uh, for that first 28 days they, the, the Tenants Association also organised a big carnival and Red Dragon FM was supposed to come along and they never turned up <laughs> oops so <laughs> we skirt over that yes, bit we're, we're, but they're not around anymore so we can say well they're not things. they're not but I mean they were a very very popular yeah. station and I remember I, you know through the archives here I've turned out some research that you had done from a professional research company in 2006. So we'll be talking about four years into this. And it was done in the Pontypridd areas, mm. in the Pontypridd town. But, I mean, you'd already, you were second only to Red Dragon. And you were ahead of Real, which is a big surprise because Real had been a massive station launch. But actually, GTFM in Pontypridd had overtaken it and Radio Wales and Radio 1 and 2. And some people find that a surprise that we're miles ahead of all of those. And we are now miles ahead of all of those. If you go back to when we did those RS, you know, the 28-day broadcasts, you know, that wasn't about ratings, that wasn't about anything. It was about purely a community event and, and, and all that goes with it. How, mm. But, of course, when community radio came around as this experiment in around 2001 um, to be quite honest with you, Terry, I had no ambition to, 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 to do it. Um, the reason why... It ended up being done was because our colleagues across the water in the then University of Glamorgan, they were desperate to do it because there'd been two of these uh, month-long stations going side by side in in Pontypridd, very much like down the bay. Mm. Um, there was us, which was clearly a community station, and there was a student station that used to pump out from Treforest a couple of times, Fusion Radio. Now, the university wanted to do this access radio, but they knew they would never get a licence without a legitimate community group. So the pressure was put on us to join forces. And really, if you think about it, even in those couple of years, the radio landscape around here had changed. So... You know, we launched at the worst possible time. It was <laughs> it was May, you know, 2002. Real Radio had been on air. I can't remember how long. It wasn't very long. but Couple it years. had been on and it had cleaned up. Um, so it was a very different situation. Yes. And around that time, possibly slightly after, Red Dragon was bought out by the capital people who then made it into a capital station with a much younger sound. Because I, I came across some research that, that Ofcom had done, which really surprised me, actually, that they'd done it and not told us. Because <laughs> we were mentioned in it, and they did focus groups in Pontypridd. The focus groups were telling them that they used to listen to a station called Red Dragon that used to talk about Pontypridd. 
but now it doesn't. It's called Capital. And they found this other station called GTFM, which talks mm. about localness, and they'd all kind of transferred across. So you ended up, without intending to do it, but it was the radio authority, wasn't it? Because they were winding up shop to hand over to Ofcom. And something that had been on the agenda for 25 years, to my knowledge, up to then, had been the lobby for community radio. Not commercial, not BBC, third tier. And it was always been shot down, largely because of a thought that there weren't enough frequencies. But by you know, the early part of this century, uh, the engineers had worked out ways of doing it. And that, so that there were enough frequencies. And uh, so they, they wanted to do it. That's how, you know, the, the experiment, when they invited people to come forward for a one-year licence, I think, didn't they? It's an yeah, experimental I mean, licence. It, it, it kind of came out of the blue, really, all of a sudden. And at the time, they called it Access Radio, and they decided they were going to invite groups around the UK to uh, apply to join this experiment. And you joined the experiment, and you could broadcast for a year. There was no guarantee beyond a year. The clock ticked, basically, <laughs> from uh, the moment they launched this. So you couldn't decide um, to wait six months and then have a year. Because if you waited six months, you just got six months. Yeah. So the pressure was on us to launch early. And truth be told, Terry, we weren't ready to go on air when we had to go on air. And and uh, it's why, to some extent, you know, I, I can remember clearly... The launches in 1999 and the launch in 2000, they were huge events. Um, I guess the, you know, the, the, the event you're celebrating today, the, the official start of, of, of the full-time broadcast, is, is a less auspicious affair <laughs> because, you know, we, we kind of limped onto air. The, the university, because at the time, had their, their media suite over in Tree Forest, so... You know, they literally had to just press a button and they were on air. And it was very much, you know, had a batch of students to to run shows. That's not how we operated this. This was about, you know, I I mean, I had no interest in the transmission and the knobs and all that. That was of no interest to me. I suppose I had a rather unique um, way of viewing it. And for me, the important thing was what came out of the speakers and what the listeners heard not how it was was created, which, you know, I think, you know, perhaps I'm saying something controversial here, but most people who get into radio do it for the other reason. Mm. And and actually, they yes, don't really care about what it, it sounds it, like. It's the medium, not the message. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, you're a message guy. Actually, so am I. Yeah, so we didn't have... We weren't in any way ready. And as I think I was telling you <laughs> before, you know, that, that, you know, the launch that is... is, is, is that happened on this day 20 years ago up at the Elan Centre where we were then located, um, the studio wasn't even on air. You know, the the photos were taken in that studio. (laughs) It wasn't operational because we were kind of coerced by the uni into doing some daytime broadcasts from Tree Forest. Um, It didn't go down well with the community, as you can imagine, because... They didn't want to go over to a university and no. in, in, a, in an academic situation. They wanted to be up in their comfortable community centre. 
Yes. So, but but as it turned out, once the studio was finished, within a few weeks, and then a, a bigger transmitter was switched on up on the mountain, wasn't it? By up the one up above, yeah. up a boat. If you go to Tesco yeah. and up a boat, look up. Yeah. The mast up there. Now, it didn't get to parts of Ponty very well, as it turned out. It went to West Country and all over the oh, South Wales. West Country. <laughs> she drove along the M5 in uh, Somerset. It was literally pumping. Yeah, but it was pretty bad in Kilvaneth, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but, but I mean, the point is it, it had to be done in a hurry and it made a huge difference. So pretty soon, the sound of daytime radio, which was GTFM as you knew it and you'd created it, produced from a studio in Reed Vellon, that was the daytime sound. And then it switched over at six o'clock at night to the university sound, yeah. which was a different kind of GTFM, really. It was a very different and kind. That was, <laughs> and never that... the twain shall meet. <laughs> Important thing is, um, you know, for us, we were always clear that it, what, what we were doing had to be listened to. Yeah. Um, and, and, and don't forget, you know, I, as much as I say it was a different radio landscape then, and it was, but it was also one thing that was to our advantage. It was a very different financial landscape. And by putting in a hell of a lot of work with the, the movers and shakers, there was money. Mm. There was grant funding available, which we got. Yeah. And we had a lot of it. But I was always very clear that if we were getting that kind of money coming in, we had to produce something that was worthwhile and was meeting those sort of social needs, yeah. community needs. And, and that was the overriding thing in terms of what we were doing by day. For the university, understandably, they're a learning environment. And for them, it was about giving an experience to their students. And if anybody listened in, that was a bonus. Right, yes, it was a different attitude. But but actually that works quite well with radio as a daytime medium yeah. for the mass, if you like, mass yeah. audience and a yeah. minority medium at night. So yeah. it actually worked yeah. really well. It did, yeah. That's how it was working when I first came along yeah. in, in this split identity thing. And then, of course, the university moved off to the atrium down in Cardiff in about 2007, I think. And at that point, the people who'd been broadcasting specialist programs, like Norman with the Blues Show and, and I think Andy Fox with Rock, I think he might have moved here sooner. But some of the evening programs that were really popular coming from the university, which were volunteer-led, moved to the mm. studio here. And we started having one GTFM, like a 24-hour sound, which was a bit more cohesive, perhaps. Yeah. But that was entirely because the university moved. I mean, interestingly, though, even in those days... Because uh, cause one of the things back in, in, even back to those original broadcasts in 99 and 2000, apart from the, um, uh, you know, the community involvement, that was an era when Clubland was, was alive and well. You know, it was, it was massive in all of this area. And a lot of the club DJs that put on these incredible nights in Cardiff were really keen to do radio shows um, and they did them all on here we had every single one of them that you can think of Bulletproof, Time Flies, Lam Erica Cool House, the biggest names they were all on here um, and when we went on here full time they still wanted to be on here but they didn't want to be broadcasting from the uni they thought that if they broadcast from here, it was it was a bit more. They were more in control of it. It was more of a pseudo pirate radio <laughs> vibe that they could sort of yeah. feed off. Yeah. 
And, I mean, I don't know if they're still here, but that's why we had Technics decks in here for years. Because Thursday nights, it didn't come from the uni, it came from here. Yes, 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 so it's, that's right. And uh, yeah. but I suppose that's, to the audience, that's detail. But actually, that's very really important because you know, many of them stayed with us for a long time. Uh, we still have a um, a show on a, on a Saturday night, which is done by by mm. you know the the house um, techno people and all of that. I mean, it's utterly unlike anything else we do, but it serves a purpose and it's there for mm. three hours on a Saturday night. So yeah, it's kept going. The America people kept going with us for a long time. I remember as yeah. well. Um, we had to sell the Technics turntables to literally pay a bill. Oh. When we at, at our worst point, oh. when all those grants you talked about disappeared yeah. like all, overnight at the beginning of austerity, we lost all of our funding, for which we had apologies. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're going to have to pull your funding. We've got no money from the government. This was now, um, but, but but so that was tricky. So we had to sell the decks. But we, our engineer Myrig now is a, is a vinyl. Finciado and he has Technics decks and he does a monthly show for us so we still have vinyl anyway we'll come back to all this later Specially made for Ronza Cunnan Taff this is GTFM It's Terry here with Community Link on this Tuesday where we're celebrating our 20th anniversary of the start of full-time broadcasting as uh, GTFM as Andrew was explaining to you it's uh, quite, quite a complicated story but basically we've been around ever since then uh, and I think people probably would would have at the time been quite surprised by that. I think um, as the manager who's had to take it through the you know the massive financial issues that came along um, from about 2009 onwards, I, I think I'm pleasantly surprised that we're still here. To be honest with you, uh, Andrew Jones was the founder of GTFM um, as we know it as a station coming out of a studio in Reed Vellon, and he's with me as my special guest today. Now, you've chosen a couple of songs from, from the past, so um, we've got a Ponty Market double play coming up in just a minute, which is another feature from way back when. <laughs> and, uh, and Sowing the Seeds of Love, Tears for Fears, is the first song of that. Why did you want that one? Um, I suppose, really, uh, when we... I think things really took off when we moved here. Because we had the space, we it was a, it was a, a much bigger scale. We had brand new uh, studio kit in. The possibilities were endless that we could finally, uh, as small a station as we were, we could make it the biggest sounding station around. And with that came a, a kind of advancement in terms of the music that we were playing. I mean, it became a, a uh, it was much more refined and you know at the time we used to we would make a virtue of this is our unique selling point of the music of your life and there would be you know these big hour openers that would come on the top of the hour and and this song I think is it was always one of them and for me it will always remind me of what was achieved at that time now, another two of the world's best songs brought to you by Pontypris Market. Double the choice, double the value. GTFM. A key thing I think that's made GTFM 
stand out amongst other stations perhaps has been the commitment to local news which you set up way back when and we do our best to continue now and we've had a, a string of people who, who turn up on the telly and the radio and all over the place who've started their journalistic careers really with us here so but why did you feel local news was so important I think you know to be honest even from day one when, when I launched the station um, for me if it's going to be a uh, a full local radio station, you need that ingredient of good music, lively chat inform, uh, information and local news. Now, we could never really achieve, um, give local news justice in the very beginning when we were literally broadcasting from two broom cupboards and it just wasn't, you know, we didn't have those resources. Um, but what happened was... Um, we had a kind of succession of, of, of youngsters that were prepared to do the breakfast show. And I'm talking about now, before we were here, this is in, you know, 2002, three when we were still in the Elan Centre. And we had one young lad, he was really, he's a lovely lad, but he d- didn't have an awful lot to say. So we were having to try and give him stuff that could be kind of locally relevant, etc., so we started by just giving him a few local news headlines that he could, you know, pepper pot in to his links. And then it grew from there. And don't ask me how we started this mad harebrained idea, but we started to pre-record onto mini-disc using our, um, what's supposed to be a mobile studio, which actually was never mobile because it was too heavy to lift. So it sat in this adjoining room up in the Elan Centre. And what we would be able to do is, um, at some point during the morning, we we tell everybody at the Elan Centre, oh, don't come in for the next, um, you know, 20 minutes. We're recording a local news bulletin. So we would record it, voice it onto this mini disc, take it into the studio, and then after the main news, they'd play the local news for a bit. And that's how it started. But, of course, it then took off big time when we moved here because suddenly we had three studios and a dedicated newsroom and all the kind of software, the satellite dish on the side to bring in the the IRN news and all so we could start doing things a lot differently. And I just thought, you know, as much as difficult... Well, it was, it was a big commitment, but it was made easier by what we had around us. Mm. And... And actually, reality was prime motivation for doing it was was purely because we knew we needed to get the council on side, the local assembly members on side, and they like nothing more than a platform to, you know, Mm. to promote themselves. Mm. And I don't mean that rudely, but that's what they're there for. So that's that's where it it started from. And we just embraced it and we found, you know, it was a key part of what we were doing. And uh, there was a small team of us. I mean, yes, it was mostly me, but there was um, our two... uh, part-time staff who did the book the, the, the money yeah the, the finances yeah Ria was was our first one Ria Stankovic and then Leslie Payne and they they both loved they had perfect um newsreader voices they were great mm. um and yeah it, it, it grew from there we had all the the interviews with all the 
the the ministers and the sports teams, you know, and and local news was done properly, um, even to the extent that for a brief period we were doing extended news lunchtime and at five p.m. Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was it was a key part of what the station was about, and it's been a key part as well of continuing to do that um, of of staying in touch with people like the Welsh Government, who, of course, now got powers and mm-hmm. so on. And during the lockdown, we, we were being provided with it, fresh information about you know, all the new rules and, and, and regulations, which are often different in Wales, which listeners found immensely mm-hmm. valuable. Yeah. And now, with the added dimension of social media, of course, that, you know, that wasn't around in those, no. in those days. Yeah. One thing you did do, though, in the early days was set up news at gtfm.co.uk as the news email address. And because it's never changed, we get everyone's press release, you yeah. know, which makes life a lot easier, really. Yeah, well, we, we built that up very, you know, it was very comprehensive. We had, we had proper systems here for, for logging all the press releases and diarising all the key events. And, you know, out, you know the news would go out... Um, fresh as as it would be on any other station really mm. i mean we broke we broke some stories i mean we broke the news that the uh, tax office in Pontypridd was closing there was a big tax office then um at the it's all been redeveloped now with the Tafail precinct yes yes i know um and yeah we we broke that story the the, the they weren't best pleased um, that that we basically had broken the story, and that's the first many of the staff knew about it. But um, you know that's local news, isn't it? Yeah, got to be you know, on the ball. Um, and and yeah, it was it was a it was a, a vital part of of um, of the service. I mean, I can, funnily enough, I think you know you mentioned the Welsh government there and the ministers, and they really did uh, take GTFM seriously in terms of news and and i can remember when when the current senate building you know the the fancy richard rogers designed the building opened which i can't remember the year but it may be 2005 or something and um we were invited as one of the 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 media companies to go to the official launch so off i go to the launch so we saw inside the senate along this small group of of, of key you know journalists uh from, from wales before anyone else and um i'd asked remember the press officer's name can we do an interview with with one of the ministers yes uh, but then <laughs> bbc wales wales today rocked up and they wanted to do an interview and um, they said, oh, they had to get back to Llandaf, blah, 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 blah. And she put the journalist right in his place. She said, you'll have to wait your turn because GTFM are first. <laughs> it's nice when that happens. Chatting to Andrew Jones, who set up for GTFM all those uh, 20 years ago, and actually ran the station for at least the first five years during this kind of slightly unexpected, I suppose, period of of the Access Radio experiment, the only one in Wales. And, of course, you were talking about the news and they're talking about setting it all up. Of course, the station is about the same age as the National Assembly mm. for Wales, isn't it? Yeah. And that well, was kind of important, really. Yeah, I mean, it's fortuitous, really, that we went on air in May 99, the same month that the Welsh Assembly was created. It was, it was just pure fluke. Um, but it, it was conveniently something to refer to 
uh, down the line. Um, and, you know, I got very good support from Welsh Government, from the ministers, to, to the extent that, um, I mean, you know, the former AM for Pontypridd, Jane Davidson, was a massive supporter of, of, of the station. And, you know, without her, a lot of things wouldn't have happened. I know that. Um but um, I can remember being in here on a Sunday night because, um, you know, you couldn't do stuff from home like you can now. No. Unfortunately, I wish I could have. It would have been a much better life. But uh, Sunday night in here doing the uh, local news for the morning and there was um, uh, the phone rang uh, and it was Jane Davidson to say, can you urgently get me this? I can't remember what the information was around budgets. Because we're going to make an announcement tomorrow that we're going to create a community radio firm for Wales, mm. uh, which happened. And uh, ironically, you know, we we were this um, this maverick, sole community radio station in Wales. All the others were in in England and a spine going up from London to to the north, and they all looked upon us as a bit of like, oh, who are they over there? And um, the trade body was the Community Radio Association, which was in Sheffield. They didn't want to know us at all. But funnily enough, when the Community Radio Fund was was um, was set up, the phones went like crazy from all these people who wanted to know how I did it. But I, I think that's a key important difference, actually, between what happens here. Um, although some of the funding that they couldn't provide the funding in later years because of government austerity in London and so on, the money wasn't coming down the, the down the line. You know, they've always been massively, massively supportive, and now they place their adverts on us because they realise so many people listen to community radio and mm-hmm. it's a different audience from commercial radio. They at last finally they're well, placing I, I can, their adverts I can, here. I, they were placing those adverts. They were in the here, early days, weren't they? Because yes. I remember. The, the the work that you I couldn't even begin to tell you how much work it was to actually get to the right people in in the Welsh Assembly to to have an audience with if you like um, it was one hell of a battle we got yeah. there in the end but oh my God you know most people would have given up yeah it well you, you achieved that because yeah. I remember when I was here first. Um, helping you out initially, used to take the phone call from the London agency who placed all the government advertising. And it was like, whoa, there's another advert at Welsh government. And we were on the schedule along with the Welsh commercial radios. And of course, we were the only one. It all stopped overnight in about 2009-ish, around the start of the Cameron government, because it went around shooting quangos. Mm. And one of the quangos it shot was the Central Office of Information who were the only people who knew that the Welsh government wanted to advertise mm-hmm. on uh, GTFM to advertise their adverts. And they just stopped completely. I contacted the Welsh government and said, adverts have stopped. And they went, have they? And they had no idea what the mechanism was. And it took five years mm-hmm. of continuous pressure from people like Mick Anthony, who'd taken over from Jane Davidson, to actually get the system to start working again. It, yeah. it had just stopped and nobody knew why. Oh, no, no, we want to advertise with you, but you're not. Why? And nobody knew why. And it, it was actually in London, the UK government, quite quite by accident, 
by getting rid of the COI, got rid of the filing cabinet with the memo from the Welsh government <laughs> saying, please put GTFM on the schedules. And it took five years to get it back. So it's coming back now. But yes, you're right. In those early yeah. days, I remember taking the orders and, and the, the, the money was hugely helpful yeah. and is today. Yeah. Because, you know, we've been through the lockdown and no advertising at all. They've helped us through that. Had a couple of grants to keep us going from the government and so on. And only now, right, literally now as we speak, you know, the, the bookings are coming back and, and, uh, and things are looking better. Mm. But there's been lots of these up and downs in the financial yeah. thing. But there we are. We're still here to tell the tale. That's the important thing. But news was a key thing that, that, that you did. And, and the musical style is a mixture of, you know, oldies and current songs and so on, which is like an easygoing mix. And we've kept that pretty much the same, except we've had, obviously had to add uh, eras of oldies to it because there are so many oldies now. Well, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately, I just think that I, I've, I've never understood why most radio stations have a playlist of 250 songs. No, it's right. madness. Um, and I guess, you know, when people like Tony Blackburn have the same opinion, um, somebody who was like, in a, you know, at a music fan. Um, and, you know, if, unless you unless all you want to do is listen to the radio station for 10 minutes a week. You want to hear more than 250 songs on continuous loop. I know. And that was really the, the thing. Let's just bang as many in as possible. Yeah. And we, we've still got several thousand going around in the system yeah. here. The computer kind of picks them. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we hardly ever have to interfere with it, though. Yeah. And when we do analysis, it's played like all of them, you know, over a long, long period of time. Listeners seem to enjoy that. And uh, you don't get the same song every 90 minutes. Yeah. Because actually, looking at the f figures for the commercial stations, some of them now have four hours a week listening hours. And yet the, the survey says that 89% of the population still listen to radio for an average of 20.4 hours a week. So the people who only listen to a station for four hours, it's because you know, in the next 10 minutes, you'll hear the same song yeah. again. Or the same artist. Yeah. You know, they just get favorite artists and play like three of them in a two-hour show. Yeah. But I mean, that's, they're welcome. And it helps us um, because people come over here. Andrew, tell me some interesting stories from the history of the early days of GTFM. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, there are so many, really. You know, sometimes people say oh, you should write a book. And I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because, um, you know, starting this all up in the, the early 2000s, um, you never thought that, you know, 20 years on, when we think of other radio stations that have a heritage, that this one would as well. Um, I mean, it was a it was a, a hard time to launch, but it was it was an exciting time to launch, and it was hard because, you know, as you referred to earlier, the the notion of community radio was all new. Uh, people didn't really understand it, and particularly. You know, when you wanted to build a radio station, you wanted people to, to fund it, to advertise on it. We wanted records to play on it, CDs. Do you mm. think we could get the record companies to take community radio seriously? No. But So we had to do everything five times as hard. Mm. We had to really make... I mean, we had to sort of stretch it a bit and make out... We were bigger than we, we were, and actually it's not a bad way of thinking, really, I don't think. So, you know, we were getting somewhere and, and there were all those, um, you know, marketing companies equally that 
uh, was a bedrock of commercial radio that you know wouldn't touch community radio with a barge bowl. Mm. But for some reason, they liked us. Mm. And I think we just made this big, I don't know, we just did something. So we were like broadcasting from the Ideal Homes exhibition and all manner of things. I mean, I don't know how... I look back now and I don't know how we did it, but, you know, this photo somewhere, and I don't know where they are, they're probably here somewhere, of, um, like, a, I think some sort of Winnie Bago in, in Earl's Court with the <laughs> big neon lettering GTFM broadcasting live today or something, you know, and, I mean, it was great times. And um, we just had fun and, you know, we were there with when... You know, regional rugby was was on the sort of was being created and the ups and downs of that. And I can remember one of the one of the presenters here going down to some big event in um, the national stadium. I think it might have been prior to a rugby World Cup, but I can't remember. Mm. And she was supposed to come back here with all these cuts on mini discs that would then I'd edit so they could go out the next day. Well, she was gone hours and hours, and I was still, and we were in the Elan Centre then, so it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, the best of places to be at midnight, but this was it. <laughs> and she racked up, and she'd had a whale of a time, because she'd she'd fallen out of the lift or something, and she'd had to be rescued by the rugby players. But not only that, this lovely young girl um, kept, made sure she was all right, and she was this new singer. Of course, it was Catherine Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, excellent! Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Yeah, th- those the pioneering days were, were real fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a picture from the archives of Hollywood actor Matthew Reese appearing on GTFM back in the early days. I think it was the RSL days. Uh, no, it was it was the GTFM days. It was it was the the days yeah, when the, we were here. I okay, think. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we it was just we had very good links with the local schools, particularly the Welsh school. Um, so they had links with a lot of the sort of media stars, if you like. Um, funnily enough, I was I was thinking about there. There is a photograph somewhere of me down at Reedvale in Welsh School when it was down down in you know the bottom of the road, um, and there was some Welsh event there, and it was our little team of of um, the pupils they used to do a weekly show. And they had these um, people in off S4C. And I can't remember, I think one of them was Alex Jones, of course, now presents the one show. And the other one was, um, uh, he was on Blue Peter. Name's gone out of my head. And I want to say Geraint, but I'm sure that's wrong. Mm. But yeah, you know, the, you look back and, <laughs> you know, you're part of this journey, you know, and we were kind of there. And what's really brilliant is that we've also been part of the journey of a, a number of journalists. The most recent one our listeners will know is Brad Williams, who uh, is from the Cullen Valley. And uh, he is he sort of um, set up this blog on, on, on the internet doing local news for the Cullen Valley. We spotted that when we were setting up our stations there about a year ago um, and, and asked if he could join us. And he wanted to join us, get some media experience. And he's gone on to do the uh, postgraduate one-year course in journalism that's very well regarded at Cardiff University. 
and he texted me the other night to say, hey, Terry, I've got a job with ITV Wales. I don't know whether, that's, whether I could say that, actually. <laughs> I hope it's not. In a <laughs> I hope ITV Wales staff know that. But, but he has uh, because he got some work experience yeah. from it and, and it's all come, you know, it's been helped. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's entirely been us because actually it isn't. He'd made a lot of the running himself, which is how we first noticed him. But what I was able to do was give him a chance to interview the first minister for us, which he recorded on Zoom. And it looked like a TV program. I mean, he did it so well mm. that I thought, no, we're not going to see him again. When he goes off for his course now, I bet you he gets a job with one of the stations that they put him in for work experience. Yeah. And, and he has. And it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But it's just lovely to be Great. part of that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the early when we went back on air, you know, 20 years ago and trying to to get some things in the can, if you like, that we could put out to sort of uh, try and get listeners to sit up. So one of the things was, got you know, love her, she's, she's a good sport. Bonnie Tyler agreed to do uh, an interview. So did this interview down in, in it was in her kitchen, in, <laughs> in her house in, uh, in, um, in Black Pill, in Swansea, and, um, and was able to make that into a... A one-hour show by putting in 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 uh, you know songs, and um, oh, I can't remember all you know. Even twenty years ago, the internet was not quite as sophisticated as what we've got now. But somehow managed to publicise it, and of course she's got a massive fan base, as you know, in in Europe. We were inundated with emails from from fans in you know like Germany and Switzerland, Austria, wanting to hear this this show. And off the back of that, somebody sent a, a parcel to the studios. We were I can't remember if we were here or in Elan then, but anyway, it arrived and it was um, a songwriter, a producer, with a demo of a song he wanted. Bonnie to have and could I pass it to her so I did thought no more of it and I mean it must have been about a year later in this very building I can remember it vividly <laughs> sitting in in my office and Jen who was in the presenter's office coming in it was a Friday afternoon she opened the door and she said I don't know if this is a wind up she said but there's somebody on the phone wants to speak to you and she says it's Bonnie Tyler I said, okay then, put it through. And it was Bonnie Tyler. She was phoning from Paris in the studio. She wanted to, she was recording an album and she'd got this demo and she wanted to do it, but she needed to, she didn't know how to get hold of the, yeah. the blow. Yeah. Could I sort it out? So, sorted it out. She recorded it and put that out and it was. I mean, it wasn't a hit in, in Britain, but it was a massive hit across Europe, a song called Louise. Oh, wow. And that was all down to that. So you're making the connection. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. OK, let's move on to one of your choices. Let's I should another... have chosen that one, shouldn't yeah, I, if well, I thought? Yes, we, we would have looked in the archive <laughs> for that one. Um, but, but, but never mind, here's one you prepared earlier. OK. Because it's all about preparation, as we both know. <laughs> Odyssey, going back to my roots, why that? Well... Um, at the at the time when when um, uh, launched this station on a Saturday night, I used to do a, a Saturday night disco party, I think it was or something, and it was basically you know we, we were able to do a six hour show that could be pre recorded and it was perfect for a Saturday night and it had all this type of music on there. Um, and at the time, we had very good links with a lot of the 
you know, the, the entertainment venues around one of which was St David's Hall. And they were really, really very supportive of the station. We used to have competitions on your ticket giveaways, invites to press night. And one of them was this, um, you know, they do these 70s um, concerts. And it was Odyssey, Rolls Royce and um, uh, The Real Thing. And they were, you know, real kind of mainstays of the sort of music we'd play from that era. So I went down and uh, interviewed them all backstage, joined the concert and got each of them to record a little voice that we would use on on air. Um, of course, they all had to be, they probably all had to be archived when the frequency changed. But I can remember the Odyssey one was, um, hi, we're, we're Odyssey and we're going back to our roots on the old school classic dance party on GTFM 106.9. And uh, so that was it. And, and I mean, it was great because they were lovely people. And um, the, the two singers from Odyssey, Louisa and Lillian Lopez, both sadly no longer with us. Um, but they were fantastic sports. Well, I think we might have the abridged version <laughs> of, of that very intro now. Hi, this is Lillian Lopez of Odyssey, going back to our roots on GTFM, the music of your life. Thank you so much for coming in today, because it's been, actually, it's been fascinating. I've learned a lot from the process. Um, it's a kind of one-off, I suppose, that we've actually found out quite a lot about what made the whole thing tick back in 1999 and onwards, because that was really kind of where it started, although we're celebrating a couple of years later. And uh, it's, it's, it's been fascinating. I hope listeners, especially new ones who didn't know, you know, any of the background have found it interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to, to, to rack my brains from 20 years ago and suddenly remembering things that I'd actually forgotten about myself. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been uh, interesting and it's just... Uh, it's really, you know, amazing to think that 20 years on, it's still going and, and, and thriving. 